Eight-year-old little Joey was asked by his mother what he had learned in Sunday school. He said, well, Mom, he said, um, I learned that Moses was dropped behind enemy lines, that um, they built a big pontoon bridge across the sea so that all the Israelites could escape. And once they'd escaped, Moses got on his walkie-talkie, he uh, called back for reinforcements, and they flew the planes over. And as the enemy was on the pontoon bridge, they, they bombed the bridge and blew it up, and that's how the Israelites were saved. Joey's mom said, Joey, is that really what your Bible school teacher taught you this morning? And he said, he said, no, mom, it's not. But he said, if I told it to you the way she told it to us, you would never believe it. We have an awesome God, do we not? We have an awesome God. I want us to read a, a very familiar story this morning, and there's always danger, there's always danger when you read something that is so familiar, because we say, oh, I know that, I, I already know that, I, I've heard that story so many times, and so we really have to be careful so that we can really read and ask God to, to open our eyes, to read with spiritual eyes, not eyes of the flesh. Appreciate what our brother James had to say this morning so much. This is a story that's found in all four Gospels. Not every story that we have in the Gospels uh, is included in all of them. Uh, but this is one that is. Uh, we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call those the synoptic Gospels. So much of of what one contains, the other contains. They're not exactly all the way through, but there are many, many parallels that we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is, is, is sort of an outlier at times. He, he tells stories that the other ones don't tell uh, at all. He, he lets us in on some things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't. But each one of the gospel writers writes uh, in their own style, in their own way, but all of them inspired by God to write these words for our learning, for our edification. I want us to read from the book of John, John chapter 6, the story, the feeding of the 5,000, because John tells us some things that the others don't. But then I want us to go back to the book of Matthew, where we found our reading this morning, and we're going to look at just one verse, really just, just one small phrase of that verse. But let's, let's turn to John chapter 6. Beginning in the very first verse. This is, this is the word of God. Let's pay attention. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the, of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover, Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? 
He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves that uh, left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The word of the Lord. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. We'll look at what Matthew says. But just a brief recount in Rodney's revised standard version, if you will. Jesus had just learned about the death of John the Baptist. Uh, he was heartbroken. He and John uh, were kinfolk and possibly had spent time together growing up. Um, John the Baptist had just been beheaded um, in the Synoptic Gospels, it tells us that it was on the heels of this that Jesus and his disciples uh, go to this remote place, probably for some solace to, uh, to contemplate what had happened to his cousin John. But all the people, they began to gather around. They had seen the miracles that Jesus had performed, and they wanted uh, to be close to Jesus, they wanted possibly to see another miracle, possibly they were there maybe to be fed, we're not really sure at this point, but at the end of our reading there in John, John makes it very clear, he's the only gospel writer that does, the people, after seeing these miraculous signs, they said, surely this is the prophet, the prophet who was to come into the world. Now that's a good thing for them to say, right? I mean, that sounds like their their eyes have been opened and now they're recognizing Jesus for who he is, the Son of God coming to the world. God in the flesh. But is that what they were thinking? Do your head like this. No, no. Surely he is the prophet. What they are thinking is, this is the Messiah. When we say Messiah, we think of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. But that's not what they were thinking. They were thinking, this is the new Son of David. 
We're going to make him king. He's taking too long. He's the, he's the prophet that, that is to come into the world. He's going to be the new earthly king to restore Israel to its national prominence. Throw off the yoke and the slavery of the Romans. He's going to be our new king. And Jesus knows this. He knows that they are, are wanting to take him and make him the king by force. Why do you think 5,000 men have gathered together? They didn't, they didn't just want to hear some good preaching. And even though they had seen the miraculous signs, that's not exactly what they're there for. They believe that this is the one who was to come, in their minds, to be a new earthly king. They were going to make Jesus a king by force, not realizing that he already was a king, but just not the, the king the way that they were thinking. So, so let, let's go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 14. This is Matthew's account. We won't read all of it. But let's begin in verse 15. As evening approached, I'm, I'm in chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. As evening approached... The disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's, it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Notice what Jesus says. Bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. John's account, they said, you know, eight months wages. If we went and bought food, it would take eight months wages. And, and it would only be enough for maybe just to even have a bite. I mean, not, not be satisfied. I mean, just have a, just a little bite. And Jesus says, well, what do you got? Well... We got a little boy here, and he's got five loaves of fish, uh, five loaves of bread, and two fish. But but what could that do for so many people? Can can you almost just see the little boy when, when they when they say that? You know, my first thought about the little boy is like, uh, "You're not getting my bread and fish. This is mine." And surely he was thinking the same thing. I mean, this could feed me. I could be satisfied, but. It's not going to do anything for 5,000 people. And not just 5,000, but it's just the 5,000 men. There's also women and children there. What would this do for so many? What did Jesus say? Bring it, bring it here to me. Bring it to me. You know, when your kids were little, um, when, when, when Haley was, was little, if she broke... Something, if one of her toys broke or, or maybe the arm on her Barbie doll came off, you know, they, they bring it and say, Daddy, fix this. Daddy, fix it for me. And what do you do? You say, bring it to Daddy. Bring it to me. And oftentimes it was nothing more than, you know, snapping an arm back into place or, or, or snapping a little piece back on a toy that little small hands couldn't quite navigate. But occasionally, you know, some things are just broken beyond repair, right? Our kids sometimes have a way of, 
of doing some damage to their toys. And sometimes they bring you something and, and you just can't repair it. I mean, it's beyond repair. And at that point you say, Daddy, Daddy's so sorry, but I can't fix it. And then there is weeping and wailing and sometimes gnashing of teeth. I won't fix it. I want my toy. And you're like, I'm so sorry. And then you, you say things like, well, well, We'll, we'll get another one. We'll go to the store and get another oh, But I want this. I want this one now. And when all else fails, you promise ice cream. Because ice cream makes everything better, right? And we forget about all our troubles. Bring it to Daddy. Daddy will fix it. But sometimes, you know, as an earthly father, there are things beyond my repair. But with Jesus, with Jesus, nothing, nothing is too far gone. Nothing is beyond his repair. Nothing is too big or too difficult for our God. He says simply, just bring it, bring it to me. Bring it to me and I'll do something with it. Now, in Bible class this morning, we were in the book of Malachi. Let's, let's turn back just um, just a few pages in your Bible, you're going back centuries uh, by flipping those pages. But let's go to Ma- Malachi chapter 3. I want to look very quickly at this, and you think, well, what in the world does this have to do with the feeding of the 5,000? I don't know, but let's look at it anyway. Malachi chapter 3, let's uh, fast forward to um, verse 6. The word of the Lord says this, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Uh, that's such a beautiful thought if you just think about that. God says, return to me. What, what, what's that going to require of the people to return to God? It's going to require some repentance on their part, right? They're going to have to turn away from that which they have been doing, how they have been living, and they're going to have to turn back to God. They're going to have to repent. He says, but if you will return to me, I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, How are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? (laughs) We don't know God. I mean, can a man rob God? And God's basically saying that's what you're doing. And they're like, how? How are we robbing you? Look at this. In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Now, every preacher worth his salt has preached on that text but it's always when, when the giving is not really up to snuff, right? You know, the, we're, we're not making budget for several weeks in a row and the elders pull the preacher aside and they huddle up 
and they say, uh, we got to get the giving back up. It's not, it's not, it's not good right now. So, so go preach on Malachi chapter three, break. And we all break and the preacher comes out and preaches on this text. It always has to do with giving financially. But what I want us to think about this morning, just for a moment, is it possible to rob God of our gifts? Is it possible to rob God of our time? Uh, Just think about how long you're awake in a day's time. Say you get up at at, at 7 a.m. and you go to bed at 10 p.m. Now, I know some of you, that would be like sleeping in, right, if you got up at 7. Uh, Brent always boasts about getting up at 5.30 every morning, Um, and he he just wired that way. Uh, in an elders meeting a couple of weeks ago, I found out that Mark gets up at 4 a.m. I didn't know there were two four o'clocks in a day, you know, until, until he said that. But he gets up at 4 a.m. You know, farmers, crazy lot. But we're, we're thankful for them. But for the average person, let's say you get up at 7 and you go to bed at 10. If my math is correct, I think that's 15 waking hours. What if you gave God a tenth of your awake time? I think that would be an hour and a half. Just an hour and a half a day that you spent in, in reading the Word of God. Or, or an hour and a half a day that you spent reading the Word of God and in prayer. Or an hour and a half of, of some time in the Word and prayer, but also loving someone, sharing something. Uh, maybe sharing your faith, maybe giving of your life, maybe serving someone. Just a tenth of your time. Is it possible that we rob God, not just of our money, but of of ourselves, of our gifts, of our talents, of our time? If we would just bring our gifts, however large, however small they are, if we would just bring those gifts to Jesus, he would multiply them. He would, just as he broke the bread beside the Sea of Galilee, he would, he would take that little bit that we had to offer and he would multiply it. And it would, he would do amazing things with it. You say, well, I just don't have anything. I don't have anything to give. I'm not as talented as she is. She is just so talented. And he can get up and teach class, and he can lead singing, and he can, you know. And we say, I just don't have that. But, but little, listen to me, little in the hands of Jesus becomes much. Just a little in the hands of Jesus. All Jesus says to you, he says, you say, this is all I got, Jesus. I don't have anything. I don't have very much. And he says, bring it to me. Bring it to me. Put it in my hands. And I'll break it. And I'll multiply it. And I will do amazing things. You think the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people uh, with five loaves of bread and two fish, you think that's an amazing story? It's amazing, isn't it? And there are many, many other amazing things that Jesus did in the Bible. But if I told it to you like they tell it in the Bible, you would have a hard time believing it. But I am asking you to believe in a God who fed 5,000 plus 
with five loaves of bread and two fish. And I am asking you to believe in a God who parted the Red Sea. No pontoon bridge needed. He parted the sea. And they walked across. The Israelites walked across on dry ground. I'm asking you to believe in a God that can, can do those things, that did do those things. And he's still doing amazing things. Jesus simply said, bring them here to me. Bring it to me, and I'll do something with it. If something is placed in the hands of Jesus, you can bet that he's going to do amazing things with it. So the question, I think, for us this morning is, will you give your gifts to Jesus? Will you give your time to Jesus? Because if you will bring it to him, he will do amazing things with you and through you. Most of you know that I have spent the last six, seven years, eight years, traveling back and forth to West Africa doing mission work. And the work that I've been a part of was started by a man by the name of Ben Fulks. Ben's probably in his mid-late 70s now. He's probably 77 or 78. He's a retired diesel mechanic. He did not learn to read or write until he was 40 years old. And only then did he learn to read and write because his daughter... I started dating a guy who didn't go to church, sort of a, a, rough, a rough guy, and Ben thought to himself, I have got to learn to read and write so that I can read my Bible and teach her and do better by her than I have all these years. He said that when he was first married, uh, his wife, he would go into a garage um, he, he's a brilliant mind. He's got a brilliant mind when it comes to an engine. He can hear a truck riding down the road, and he can tell you exactly what the make is, where that you know diesel engine was manufactured, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just sitting there glossy-eyed. I'm like, I, I don't understand a thing you're saying. But he's brilliant that way. But he said he would go into a garage and he would uh, get an application, and then he would he would make up a story like he'd forgotten his wallet or his his driver's license, and he'd say, let me go back out to my truck and get, and get that. And he would take it out, and his wife would, would fill in the application for him. And then he would just kind of scratch his name at the end. He'd take it back in so that he could be hired. He didn't want to tell anybody that he didn't know how to read and write. He could work on a car. He could work on your engine and fix it and nothing flat, but, but he couldn't read. He couldn't write. His wife, at the age of 40, taught him how to read using the Bible and because he wanted to be able to read the Bible to help train his children that he had really neglected all these years. When he was in his mid-late 50s, he went to West Africa for the very first time with a guy that was, was going over there to build a Christian school. And he found some World Bible School students and he began to teach the gospel to them. I think they baptized about 40, 42 people on that first trip. And he said, I was hooked. He said, I knew that I was over here. God had brought me here for a reason. 
and he, and he thought to himself, I've got to go back. And the next year he went back and he took a handful of people. And every year following, he would make a trip every June. And he would go around, he would uh, talk to churches trying to raise money and raise support. And he said, Rodney, oftentimes people, when they say, well, where do you go to church? What, what Bible college did you attend? What degrees do you have? And he said, well, I don't have any of that. And he said, they would, would turn me away. Because I wasn't qualified. I didn't meet their standard. And he looked at me one night. We, we were there in 2016, just the two of us. And he said, Rodney, he said, I think back over the last 20 years, we had just surpassed 20,000 people being baptized into Christ. 20,000 in a 20 years time. And, and that has, has blown up over the last four or five years, I'll tell you that right now. But Ben looked at me and he said, Rodney, when I started this work, he said, I had no idea what I was doing. He said, I, all I am is an old diesel mechanic. Didn't learn to read and write till I was 40 years old. People turned me away because he said, I, they said I, I wasn't qualified, I didn't have any degrees, could barely even speak well in front of people, he said, I knew that everything that would be accomplished would be by God's power, not mine, because he said, he said, I got nothing, I got nothing to give except myself, and I thought so many times, what could a man do, what could a woman do? If she would bring just what little she has, if he would come to Jesus with what little he could offer and just put it in the hands of Jesus, what would Jesus do if each one of us would just bring him ourselves? What gifts we have? I guarantee you, I guarantee you, he would multiply time and time again and he would do so much that it would blow our minds. But you've got to bring it to him first. Bring them to me, he says. You see, we have tried to do so much by our own, our own intellect, our own um, abilities. We, uh, we line things up. We do things like, let, let's count all the dollars we have and let's make sure we have all the money we need and then we will go out and do this thing. That's the way, that, that's the way we're wired in the flesh. There's a church in East Texas that when Ben Fulks came to them and said, we need money to do this, this, and this in the ministry, that church went out and took a loan out. They took a loan out and started repaying so that they could help him do his work. They didn't ask, do we have it? They said, we'll get it. And somehow, by the grace of God, we'll pay it back. And they did. You see, that's living by faith. When you have to see it in front of you before you do it, that's not faith. That's walking by sight. But when you take five loaves of, of bread and two fish, and you feed 5,000... <laughs> that's something altogether different. I want to live by faith. How about you? I don't want to walk by sight. I want us to do things in this church that when we look back, we say, there is no way 
on God's green earth that we could have accomplished that just by our own intellect, just by our own money, just by our own power. If God had not been a part of that, there's no way we could have done that. That's the kind of church I want us to be. That's the kind of people I want us to be. That's the kind of folks I want us to to represent the Northside Church of Christ. These are people that live by faith. These are people that walk by faith. Because Jesus says, bring it to me. Bring it to me. And we do. We bring it to him. And then he multiplies it. Beyond what we could ever imagine. What do you need to bring to Jesus this morning? Jesus is asking you to come to him, place it in his hands, and he'll do something amazing with it. If what you bring to Jesus is broken, guess what? He'll fix it. My Jesus can fix whatever it is that you need this morning. If what you bring to Jesus is not broken, then he will take that and he'll multiply it. And he'll use it for his glory because it's all about his glory. But you've got to bring it to him first. If you've got a problem this morning, if you've got a heartache, if you've got a sorrow, you've got to bring it to Jesus. He'll help you. He'll fix it. He may not make it go away. But we'll gather around you. We'll pray about it. We'll lighten your burden. And by faith, you know that it will He will answer that prayer.